Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. On today's episode, I am chatting with Nana Dulce about loving our neighbors, even in the midst of challenging times like we're facing right now with COVID-19. In true Nana fashion, our conversation is packed full of biblical truth. We think it'll be such a help to you as you seek to walk in obedience to Christ's commands to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Nana, welcome back to the Journey Women podcast. Thank you, Hunter. It's such a joy to be with you again. I will never forget the first time I talked to you. I was sitting at my mother-in-law's house in Texas. We talked about growing in godliness. Last time I learned that the whole episode was going to be basically scripture after scripture after scripture, which is in my books, the best kind of journey woman episode. So it's a joy to get to have you back on the show today to talk about loving our neighbors, which is a topic that I think is an interesting one right now, particularly in light of what's going on in the world. And also just something that you have thought about a lot. And so I'm so grateful that you would join us on the show. If somebody hasn't listened to episode 61 yet, which I highly recommend going back and doing, could you tell them a little bit about who you are and what your days look like? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again, Hunter. Um, So my name is Nana Dulce. Um, I'm a wife to my husband of almost 12 years in August. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So his name is Eric. He really is my favorite person. I really like him a lot, which is good because he's my husband. Um, (laughs) Spend a lot of time together. So Eric serves at our church, actually. uh, He's the director of discipleship, and he is a faithful discipler of his own family. So we are Uh, really grateful for him. Um, I have two daughters that I homeschool, and I like them a lot, too, which is good because I'm with them all day. They're so fun. They're a joy. I I also teach women and children the Bible uh, in my local church, and I have the honor of teaching both in writing and also in person through really faithful ministries like the Charles Simeon Trust, Risen Motherhood, Christianity Today, a few other places. Um, And so, so I'm grateful for the good work that the Lord has given me. Amen. And you can go back and listen to your testimony in that first episode and just, man, how the Lord made you alive in Christ Jesus following Jesus is, it just oozes out of everything that I've seen from you, my friend. And so in relation to loving your neighbor, I would love to just start there. How did Jesus love his neighbor during his time on earth? Um, so yeah, so this question, I think my my impulse when I hear this question is to immediately start listing specific instances in the gospel where we see Jesus loving his neighbor. 
his neighbor. Um, and I think that would be fine to do, but uh, I kind of want to slow down and look at Jesus's own answer to this question mm. of what it means to love our neighbor. I knew I need my Bible. Where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, well, you know the, the conversation in Luke 10, right? Yeah. So Luke 10 verses 25 to 37, where there's a lawyer stands up to test Jesus. Um, and he's asking this question of teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, and so Jesus comes back with his own question and he says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer gives this beautiful answer. He says, you shall love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So when Jesus says, great, wonderful, go and do that. Uh, he wants to justify himself and look right. So he comes back with this other question of who is my neighbor? And it's here that Jesus tells this beautiful, stunning parable of this man who, who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's attacked by robbers who leave, leave him for dead. A, a priest and a Levite see him, but they purposefully pass by on the other side. Um, and this third person comes, this Samaritan, who the Jews would have looked at as an ethnic and religious enemy, right? Someone that they would have wanted to have nothing to do with. But this Samaritan is filled with compassion for the dying man, and he extends mercy and care and rescues him. So Jesus tells this story, and then he, he turns back to the lawyer and he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to that man? And the lawyer says, the one who showed him mercy. And what's amazing about this story is that Jesus is sitting there telling it, but he himself is the ultimate good Samaritan. Mm. He's the one who mm. sees his neighbors or sees his enemies really dead. They're not dying. They're completely dead in their sins. And Jesus doesn't pass by, but he extends mercy. Romans 5.10 says that we were God's enemies. We are a people who have rebelled against our creator in sin from the very beginning. Uh, but in his coming, Jesus emptied himself. He takes on the form of a servant and in mercy, he draws near to us. He draws near to neighbors who are in fact sinful enemies. And so we see that in his earthly ministry, going back to where I wanted to start off, right? We see that in his earthly ministry, Jesus comes and he is touching people. He's healing them. He's feeding them. He's teaching them. He's praying for them. And ultimately he will die for them. He rescues his enemies and he does it in two ways. He lives a perfectly obedient life. He is the one who loves God and his neighbor perfectly. Mm -hmm. He satisfies every command of God um, and he exchanges his perfect righteousness for our sins. He takes those sins, right? My sins. He takes them and he suffers the penalty for them and the judgment that is due me because I don't love God and I don't love my enemy as the as God's law command. He takes the penalty for that and then gives me his perfect obedience, right? He credits that to me it, and he reconciles me and makes me from an enemy to a friend. He declares me righteous. I'm forgiven because he suffers for me. So he is an amazing neighbor. <laughs> Jesus is an amazing neighbor and how he loves us by giving himself completely for the sake of our redemption. Absolutely. And I'm just going to confess, Nana, like so often 
I find it hard to move toward others. And also, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just like to think of myself as easier to move toward. It's hard to remember that I was dead in my trespasses and sins sometimes, you know, like nobody would have moved towards a dead person. Like I lose the luster of the cross in my forgetfulness. So how does considering the ultimate act of self-giving Jesus's death on the cross speak to us when we are finding it difficult to love those who are around us? Yeah, I love that question, Hunter, because I think it helps us to see the distinctiveness of Christian love. How is Christian love distinct when we live in a world that says we ought to celebrate love, right? Yeah. So many of us have non-Christian friends and family who might see love of neighbor as actually a moral obligation. Mm -hmm. I have family members who really strive, right, to embrace and tolerate and celebrate every neighbor because they see that as what is right. So how are believers different? So for us, Christian love isn't shaped by a desire simply to be nice to others. It goes much deeper than that. Christian love for us is motivated and defined by the gospel. It is us loving as we have been loved because we live through the ultimate good neighbor, the ultimate good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. This is actually what first John four, nine to 11 says. I'll just read a portion of that for us. It says uh, the love of God was manifested among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atonement for our sins. And then it says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Uh, So when we view our call to love neighbor through the reality of the gospel, the fact that we were enemies who did not love God, but God first loved us through his son who gave up everything, gave up himself in order to make us the beloved of God, that warms my heart. It helps me to move toward so-called difficult people or whoever I'm called to love. It helps me to remember when I see what Jesus has done for me, it helps me to move towards others. And I'll say here also that even even as I talk about difficult people and and neighbors, according to the scripture, that's everyone or that could be anyone, Right. right? So, so my husband is a neighbor. My children are neighbors. I started off by saying how much I love them. But of course, that doesn't mean there aren't difficult days <laughs> when it's hard to love, even my, my husband and my children. But all of these are neighbors, classmates and co-workers and brothers and sisters in Christ, in my local church, in the global church, uh, strangers, people that may not like me, that I may think of as hey, maybe that's an enemy or, you know, just whoever, people who Mm -hmm. cut me off on the road or take my parking spot when I was waiting like two minutes for it. All of these are neighbors. And I'm called, according to the scriptures, to move near them in love, in view of the gospel because of the one who moved toward me in love, even when I was yet in my sins, when I was an enemy who is rebelling against God because of my sins. He moved near me. So I love as I am loved. Yeah. What would it look like for us to 
love as you are loved, like just as Mm -hmm. Christ drew near to us to draw near to other people. And how can we actually do that, you know, just Mm -hmm. in the context of our everyday life? Yeah. This question reminds me that I'm not on this podcast today because I love my neighbors so well. So I think I'm actually here on this podcast because I've written about how much I struggle Hmm. to love my neighbors. You read a piece where I admitted that I grew up in a household that our practice was really to keep to ourselves as a family. And we were actually somewhat discouraged from really getting close to other people. And when you add that to my already kind of introverted ways, Mm -hmm. you have with you today someone who sincerely struggles to draw near to others and to truly share myself fully with others. So theologically, I know that I'm supposed to love my neighbor and I want to love my neighbor, but there are old voices in my head and besetting sins in my heart that get in the way of that. So specifically, I tend to protect myself. This is something I've noticed. I will protect my time, my resources, and my heart from people. Uh, So if I don't feel secure, I don't always feel secure in, in letting people have full access to me. So I will be available, but only to an extent. So I will measure out how comfortable I am and give just that much. But God isn't calling me to safety. He's calling me to total love of him with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my mind, and love my neighbor as myself. Uh, So the question that I have asked myself, and maybe this pertains to other people who are listening today who have the same struggle, the question that comes to my mind that I'm asking myself is how much do I trust God? Am I resting completely in him or still trying to keep myself safe and protect myself? Uh, Because if I'm trusting myself to the security of his good and faithful hand, then I can risk self-giving, vulnerable, totally present love of neighbor and love of others. So I think the question for me has to do with how much am I trusting myself to God and being secure in him so that I can risk drawing near and giving in ways that are really vulnerable (laughs) to other people. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the Word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. 
I think it's a really interesting time for us in relation to what we're going through with this global pandemic, COVID-19. What do you think? Do you have any thoughts on this in relation to what we're walking through right now nationally with the struggle that we're facing and the really unique circumstances revolving around being huddled down in our home with the hopes of flattening the curve and hoping and praying that this virus will be kept at bay? Yeah, so Hunter, I've been praying for my heart. So of course I'm praying for, um, and it is right for us to be praying for members of our church, especially the the most vulnerable. I attend a church that has so many people who are in their 80s. Wow. So every Sunday we actually will announce birthdays of people who are 80 and and older. And I've been a member of my church for 12 years. I've been here as long as I've been married. And I can't remember a Sunday we haven't called out a birthday. I mean, the church is filled with older saints. And we know that that population, they're being called the most vulnerable, right? Right. So I literally have neighbors who are vulnerable as it pertains to this pandemic right now. Um, My husband was on the phone calling yesterday. We're we're seeking to, to pray and to serve, praying for the global church, for places like Ghana, where I'm from. Some of the, the infrastructure there might not be as prepared, perhaps, for something like this. So praying for it for the people in country, developing countries. Yeah. Praying for children who are home, especially those who tend to have most of their meals in school. Um, but now they're home and there might be real food insecurity. So praying for all of those things. But I was reminded to also pray for my heart because I am someone who struggles to give of myself if I don't feel like I'm secure in what what I have. I've really been asking my heart if this thing continues, and God willing, it, it won't, but if it continues to the point where there is not enough food in our grocery stores, will I be willing to share the food that I have with my neighbors? It's a challenge because it's the first time that I've ever been faced with a potential lack, even just going to the store and seeing, wow, there's no meat. So we have the meat that's in our freezer right now. Yeah. So Hunter, this actually brought to mind um, first King 17. Yes. So, you know, the story of the widow of Zarephath. Yes. To summarize that story really quickly, maybe for people who who, uh, are not as familiar with that story, Uh, Elijah the prophet, he tells Ahab, who's a really evil king in Israel, uh, that there will be years of no rain in the land because of sin. And so a horrible famine comes as a result. And I mean, there's like no food, no, no rain, obviously. So no food. The Lord keeps Elijah by this brook and he's fed by ravens. He's fed by birds who bring meat and he drinks the water, but the water dries up. At a certain point, the Lord sends Elijah to the home of a widow who's living in a, in a town called Zarephath. So this woman has nothing left. She literally has a handful of flour and a little jug of oil. And she is planning to bake her last bread for her and for her son to eat and then die. But Elijah approaches her and is asking her for bread. She tells him, I have nothing left. And he listens, but then he says, Don't fear, go ahead and make the bread for you and your son. But first, take some of the flour and bake me bread to eat first, for God will continue to feed you. Your jar of flour and jug of oil will not be spent until the rain returns. Sister, this request would have been hard for me to fulfill. Yes. (laughs) It really would have 
would hard for me to fulfill. It's a real challenge in my heart because I just feel this need to want to preserve and protect. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea of not having enough food to feed a child, right? Mm -hmm. But then I'm asked to share it with a neighbor Mm -hmm. is difficult. It's fine if it's yourself, but you add the kid in there and it's too much. (laughs) Exactly. I like feeling secure. I like feeling like I know where my next meal is coming from. And, And the same thing is true with my time, with my money. When brothers and sisters ask of me, I think I give out of my abundance if I feel like I have enough to give and not out of my limit. If that makes sense. Yeah. But I think what the story of the widow of Zarephath shows us is that she had to see, right, that she's ultimately sustained by God's promise and not by that handful of flour. Amen. She believed God's word would sustain her and she feeds Elijah out of the scarcity of her pantry and God proves faithful. So we are sustained by the Lord himself. We are sustained by the Lord himself. Uh, We're not sustained by what we have, our resources, our energies, our time, our capacities. It's the Lord who keeps us. So I'm praying for my heart in these times. I'm praying that I would trust myself to the faithful God who sustains me um, and that he would help me to draw near in self-giving ways to neighbors in this time because Uh, My heart is resting in him, and I know that his hand is able to keep me. Amen. You have already answered this, I feel, but I'm going to ask it just in case you've left anything on the table. What do you do when you want to pull away from others because it feels like it's too hard or costly? Like Because you you have this situation where, for some of us, it's the first time that we've ever even faced the thought of potentially not having enough. What do you do when you want to pull away from others because it just feels like it is asking too much of you? Yeah, I think we pray for grace. My family has been reading through the book of Hebrews, and it's been so encouraging to see Jesus in Hebrews. He is better than angels, and he's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. He is a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he was made like us in every way. In every respect, he has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Um, So we can praise God for that reality, even in this season. We can praise God for the uniqueness of our Savior because Jesus is truly God, and he's truly a man who has walked the dusty earth. He loved neighbors when it was hard for him to love neighbors, right? He gave himself when he was tired and hungry. He pursued people, disciples who betrayed him, who did not love him as they should have. He understands the temptations we face in striving to love our neighbors when it's costly, So Jesus can sympathize with us. We can praise God for a high priest who can sympathize when it's hard Mm. to share your snacks with some people (laughs) when the grocery stores are empty. Yes. I actually left a creamer on the shelf, Nana. I'm not boasting, but it's like, these are the things that I'm thinking about. Even as I was going through the grocery store, you know, the temptation for me is to try and hoard and to want to take every last toilet paper and every last, you know, creamer, creamer. That's like one of my simple joys. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't, I don't know if I can make it without my coconut milk creamer in the morning. And there were two (laughs) left on the shelf and I reached for both of them. The Lord brought it to mind. Mm. He's like, huh, Mm. what would it be like to leave that? 
that for the next person so that they get the last one, you know? And yeah. I'm like, okay, I don't know you neighbor, but here yeah. you go. <laughs> praise God. Praise God. Leaving that creamer. That's loving your neighbor. Um, <laughs> that's what it's looking like in this season. Yeah. We can pray confidently, right? Amen. Uh, Hebrew, Hebrews 4 says, in confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Yes. That we may find mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In a time when we need God's help <laughs> in our strive to love neighbors well. In our desire to trust ourselves to him because he's our security. Amen. So let's pray boldly for our hearts. I love that admonition. I think a situation like this has helped me to see more of my need. And I've been praying more fervently, like you said. I was even using one of my favorite prayer guides as a help the other day. I love the Valley of Vision. One of the lines said, give me grace that I may know more of my need for grace. And I'm like, Mm. man, this is really, when we're being stretched like this, um, it's really a grace to know more of our need and to be looking to him who is our ever-present help in times of trouble. I think it's caused me to look more to the cross than ever before. I often do that in relation to, you know, my salvation. What is the difference between thinking of justification as personal, like an individual reality versus communal? And why is it important, particularly in relation to the conversation about loving your neighbor for us to consider both? Mm -hmm. We, um, typically think of our justification in personal rather than communal terms, because it is a doctrine that deals with our individual position before God. And so we are all sinners. All of us are sinners, but individually I am a sinner standing before a judge who judges sin. So God doesn't sweep any of my sins under a rug and pretend that it's okay. On the contrary, Every sin, whether it's really big or I think is really small, right. all of my sins deserve an exact right judgment uh, because God is just. But he's also so faithful and he's also so merciful because in his mercy, he does execute perfect justice against my sins through the death of Jesus on my behalf. Uh, and then again, the good news continues because he declares me righteous crediting Jesus's perfect obedience to my account. And so this is the reality and it is the truth for everyone who believes this good news. Everyone who admits that they are a sinner and that the only hope they have for reconciliation with God, the only hope they have is what Jesus has done, is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so believing it, they turn from their sins, trusting God. They are pronounced righteous. They are pronounced forgiven. They are pronounced just. This is the gospel. This is our our justification, right? The fact that our judge has become our justifier. Mm. And so born enemies are now friends or actually not even more than friends. We're children. Mm-hmm. We're children who are encouraged to come near and are called beloved because the son is sharing with us all he is and all he has. And so, yes, justification deals with our individual standing before God. But there is an important implication of our justification, and that is the declared righteousness. So you're declared righteous, Hunter, but you are called to live out that righteousness within mm-hmm. the community mm-hmm. with others, right? So if you're declared righteous because of the real work of Christ, He then empowers you 
with his Holy Spirit to progressively show some actual righteousness of your own through your daily life with others. So to the extent that you are justified freely by his grace, you're called to extend that same grace to others. And so Christians are a people of love. We are a community that is supposed to be known by its love. Jesus says that they will know you by your love. And yet, often, because we are declared righteous, but there's still indwelling sin, we are being progressively made to look like Jesus in righteousness. One day we will be completely sinless when we see him and we are made as he is. But until then, there is still indwelling sin that gets in the way. It gets in the way so that the evil we don't want to do, that we keep doing, as Paul says in Romans 7, 19. And so it gets in the way of our loving each other the way that we're supposed to. I told you before that I'm compelled by this Christian call to love sacrificially and to love others. But often I really find myself doing the minimum. I really find myself further from people than I ought to be. But I think that it's important to remember that Jesus is the son of man who didn't come to be served. But he came to serve and he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Remembering this and remembering how he has loved me helps me to draw near. It helps me to draw near pleading for my heart like we talked about before. It helps me to draw near trusting myself to him and risking loving others, showing the fruit of my justification in righteous living, loving others in community. So yeah, if you're justified, then there should be evidence of that justification in your love for God and in your love for neighbor. So we pray for God to help us (laughs) to grow more like him in showing that. Right, because it's really hard sometimes thinking about Christ, particularly in and through the events of the crucifixion. He loved his neighbor to the uttermost, right? Like Mm -hmm. he's dying for them. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the kind of heart that I want to have. How does the cross move us toward others through acts of service and even through evangelism? Like, what does it look like for us also to love others and to love our neighbor by sharing the hope that they have in Jesus, even when that can be really confrontational, particularly in this Mm -hmm. postmodern context? Absolutely. I love this question because I think that the cross is a glorious reminder to saints who are at the same time sinners. It's a glorious reminder of just the high price that Jesus paid for our redemption, for our justification, for our becoming not enemies, but children of God. Also, like even the parable of the forgiven servant, the unforgiven servant. So what he owed the king was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> he owed, he was forgiven a lot. I think it was like 200 denied. I can't remember the, the amount, but it was a lot. What his fellow servant owed him was so, so small. So it's, it helps us to remember how much we owed, right? Yes. And how much Jesus has paid. So the price was a high one for Jesus. And when we remember that he drunk the whole cup of God's wrath on our behalf, it warms our hearts towards others. It's good to remember just the, the humiliation of Christ. Yes. Uh, and all of that was for my sake, because that's what I deserved. So he was, how, how he was betrayed and falsely accused and beaten and spat upon and stripped naked and nailed 
it was a high price for Jesus. And it's helpful to think about that because Ephesians 5, 1 to 2 says this. It says, I have to remember, it's saying this to me to follow the example as a dearly beloved child. I'm supposed to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved me and gave himself up for me as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the example that I'm expected to follow. And so if Jesus went through all of that, it's not unusual to experience some difficult, self-denying, self-humbling moments in the context of loving of loving people. So, so perhaps I'm discipling someone who will misjudge my intentions towards her and will hurt me with her words, right? Yeah. Or maybe I am praying for family members or for neighbors, planning out ways to carefully share the gospel with them. And I find moments to share the gospel, but I end up being called judgmental and hateful. Right. Uh, or perhaps, perhaps I have a friend who is always demanding attention, always demanding time, always right. demanding resources. But then I feel like, you know, maybe they're not receiving the godly counsel. So I'm pouring all this time into relationships, but I'm not seeing the fruit that I think I should see because words that I'm giving are not being received. And, and those relationships are frustrating, right? But whatever relational difficulty I might face in striving to love neighbors through evangelism, family and friends, local church, it will not come close to Jesus's humiliation for my sake. Amen. And his sacrifice is what I'm called to imitate ultimately as a sacrifice to the Lord himself is the Lord that I'm serving in my love for others. Beating the cross in our heart is essential, especially for people like me who struggle to draw near to others, because it helps me to see that whatever sacrifice I make in loving others is only my reasonable service ultimately to God himself. Amen. I love that distinction because so often I question whether or not I'm really being loving or if I'm in the wrong, if I'm genuinely like extending in humility, like an attempt to love a neighbor and it's just not received. How do you continue to move forward in confidence that I'm doing this for the Lord and that the Lord is glorified despite maybe even like a negative response? Yeah. So I would say, take it to the Lord in prayer. (laughs) I've been like singing that song, what a friend we have in Jesus and Sunday, all our sins and griefs to bear. So, so take it to the Lord in prayer. Oh man, when God tells us to pray without ceasing, we need to pray without ceasing and pray in all things about, about everything, Mm -hmm. right? Praying about difficult relationships is helpful for me. It warms my heart toward the other person when I am tempted to to take revenge or to to pull back further because I've been hurt. And then it also helps my own heart. It helps to expose where I might be in sin. Mm -hmm. Praying, praying for my heart and, and, and taking it to the Lord in prayer is essential for me. And then also remembering that God is doing a work that he will complete. So my sanctification and the sanctification of my sister the ultimate glorification, the sinless eternity that will come about because God's word is true and is faithful. Mm-hmm. The hope that I have in that is not how right I get it or how right yes, I do it. Thank you. The, yes, the hope in that is not how perfectly I forgive even those who offend me. The hope I have is that God is doing it. It's a work that he is completing. 
Um, so he is my hope. He's my hope for my daily sanctification, whether I'm crawling or running. When I cast my eyes on him and the fact that he is strong, he knows what he's doing, what he has begun, he will complete. It helps me. It helps me to persevere through the through those hard moments and to and to see it as a way to, to ask the question, OK, how can I be sanctified through this difficult situation? How can I grow and look a little bit more like him? So that's helpful to me. Amen. It's a real position and posture of dependence. And I think it's a grace to be kept there. It puts us low and it makes us humble. And I'm so thankful to be in that humble position because it's just man, you can glory in the cross. Like when you're mm-hmm. in that humble position, just acknowledging mm-hmm. your need for grace. You know, what's it really humbled me is moving to New England from the Southern part of the United States, because I am a bit different, Nana, than <laughs> many of the people who are here. I, you know, have different tendencies. I think it was literally the first time I went to the grocery store here. I was checking out and I was just being my normal self. And the checker, she said something to the extent of like, you need to lay off the coffee. (laughs) Because I just was maybe a little too peppy, I guess. I feel my otherness. I feel how different I am. And it's been really cool to see how the Lord has used that to draw me towards others who are different here. Some of my closest friends who are here are from all over the world just because they feel it too. You know, Mm -hmm. we're different. Mm -hmm. What does it look like to love others who are different than you? And I don't know, what would that look like to do that? Well, I love that I get to ask someone who's literally from Ghana and you also Mm -hmm. live in a very diverse city. So I'm sure you practice this often. That, you know, there's some people that we have a natural kind of, we just click with them easier than others. A natural affinity for. Exactly. But our churches are filled with a whole bunch of people who might be very different from mm-hmm. us or our communities or our neighborhoods. So yeah, that's it's an excellent question. Um, I think we're called to love those who are different from us in the same way that, that Christ, who was very different from us in sinlessness, loved us, right? So there's so many stories. So this question brought to my mind, actually, stories from Christian church history of people who gave their lives and who sacrificed for the sake of those who are very different from them um, or those who maybe were even enemies, those who who mistreated them, who did not show there was certainly no natural affinity. Right. Uh, So the first person that came to mind was and he may not be as known. I'm not sure how familiar people are with uh, Samuel Kabu Morris. No, I, I don't know him. Yeah. So his name is Prince Kabu. He became Samuel Samuel Morris after he converted, but he was a West African Liberian prince. This is in the like the late 1800s. Um, he was captured by a tribal enemy, an enemy tribe, right? Captured him and they tortured him. And uh, he managed to escape. And it's like a miraculous escape from wow. these people who very much intended to kill him. But he escaped and he found his way to uh, almost like a plantation-like farm. It was run by an ex-African-American slave who had returned back to Africa. He had returned back to Liberia. And so this farm had a missionary on it who was sharing Christ with people. And Prince Kabu became a Christian through the ministry of just being, being on this farm. And his whole passion became wanting to know as much about God as he could so that he could minister to these people who had mistreated him. So this missionary teaches him all, it was actually a woman, she teaches him all she knows and says, I have nothing else to teach you. And so he says, well, who taught you? 
And she says, well, the person who taught me is in New York City in America, very far from here. And he determines to go to America so that he can learn more wow. and return to Talk his people to teach them. Talk about discipleship. Whoa. Yes. <laughs> so he makes it. He, it's, it's an incredible story. I would encourage people to, to find out more about it, like even how he gets to America. But he gets to America. He gets to Taylor University. And he becomes a student in the, in the late 1800s studying at Taylor University. And unfortunately, he actually dies here. Wow. Um, but people are so inspired by his desire to take the gospel to Africa and to take the gospel to those who enslaved and mistreated him that fellow students actually take up his cause and go to Africa um, and share the gospel because of what he, just his passion. Wow. Uh, fellow students go to Africa as missionaries for this tribe. So he came to my mind. He came to my mind because I think that that is the example. So when we talk about when first John four talks about how we love because we are living through Christ, I think that is the example. That is incredible Christ-likeness for us to desire so much to lay our lives, even to lose it for the sake of people who are not like us at all. The other person that came to mind, just because we just celebrated St. Patrick's Day, which is my husband's birthday, actually. Uh, so I was thinking about St. Patrick, mm -hmm. and he has a similar story. He was kidnapped by Irish pirates from Britain. And for six years, he was enslaved in Ireland. And he becomes a Christian while he was enslaved. He escapes, goes back home to Britain, only to return as a missionary to those who enslaved him in Ireland. Um, so he does the same thing. Wow. And so Matthew 5, 43 to 48 says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than, than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that, you know, Hunter, yours, you and me, we probably don't have stories as dramatic as Prince Kabu and, and St. Patrick, right? We have encounters with people who think we, we've had too much coffee or who think we're too, <laughs> too whatever, right? <laughs> yes. So, you know, I think our situations tend to be more just personality yes. differences or maybe a background difference with someone in the church or in the community. But those differences can make that person feel so different from us or feel like someone that we can't draw near to. Mm -hmm. But I think that the examples of saints in the past and scripture Amen. and the example of our Lord himself helps us to pray for whoever we might feel like we just can't move close to. It helps us to pray for the grace to be like the son who draws near to people who are different from him, who draws near to people who are even enemies, actual enemies who presses through the personality differences and the background differences. I have found that when there's someone that for whatever reason, the dynamics between us just kind of feels weird and it's hard to, to just be, be friends with the person. I have found that praying for them 
it's really helpful. Like it, it warms my heart towards the person and it helps my heart inclination to kind of draw near to them. And I think the reason that happens is that God works on my own heart in prayer. So I'm praying for the person, but the spirit is working on my heart, even in, in prayer, um, and it's changing my heart towards that person. So I can think of people who I may have thought, man, I, I don't know if I can be that cool with them. Uh, but when I pray for them, it really does help. Mm-hmm. It really does help. Mm, that's a really good word. You know, for me, there have been some people in my life where I have extended love over and over and continually receive uh, rejection and mm-hmm. where I find myself continually being hurt. I wonder, you know, in our kind of Christian communities, a lot of times we talk about setting boundaries and all of these mm-hmm. things. I just, I'm, I'm curious to hear your take on that because like even listening to the stories of people who have been enslaved and then they're going back to these people who mm-hmm. have clearly, uh, mm-hmm. n- not respected their boundaries in any sense of the word. What does it look like for us as believers? Like what is the clear biblical teaching on what it looks like for us to, I don't know, love our neighbors to that degree and Mm -hmm. to embrace our limitations as we go about the difficult work of loving our neighbors, even when they wound us? Yeah, we want to be those who love our neighbors. But I think that so each circumstance and situation will be different, right? There'll be specifics that require wisdom exactly that require wisdom and will be will be different pertaining to who this person is and and what's going on with them i think that our heart's posture is always love towards the person even if it's wise for us to have boundaries and to have some physical distance uh the, the scripture that's popping into my head right away the context of it really is church discipline but perhaps there's a principle that applies but just the idea of you know, if there's someone in the church who's sinning or whatever there is, mm-hmm. uh, we approach the person, we, the elders deal with the person, there's, there is, a, you know, you deal with the sin, but if they continue, there is a separation, right? If they continue, there is a separation. So I feel like if someone, if it's bad for your own soul, <laughs> just to have someone in your life who is damaging and who is hurtful, I think we always love them. And so I think we pray for them. We, we pray for them. Mm-hmm. We seek their repentance if they're in sin. We desire that. But that does not mean that we continue to allow ourselves to be assaulted in a way that is damaging. So again, there'll be differences. It can be hard. We're messy people. We're sinful, messy people <laughs> and loving each other can be messy. But again, uh, even as you talked about our limitations, how do we em- embrace our limitations? Yeah. What comes to my mind is what I think we started this conversation with. We started this conversation reminding ourselves that Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. He loved God perfectly and he loved his neighbor perfectly. And the good news for me is that that perfect love is credited to my account. And so when God sees my name pull up, Jesus's perfect love for God and for neighbor is credited to my account. And I can praise him for that because it means that on day on days when I fail, yeah. on days when I am that person who hurts my brother or my sister, Amen. Yeah. on days when they're the ones who hurt me, on those days, my hope is still in Jesus and God's pleasure in me is because of Jesus. Yeah, so I can strive. I can strive to love better tomorrow when I mess up today because I'm resting 
in Christ and I'm resting in the grace that he gives me to do better through his spirit tomorrow. And so that's good news. It's good news to remember that Jesus is the perfect good neighbor and that his perfect record is credited to us. We are declared righteous in him. He gives us his spirit to help us. We are not orphans. We are not left alone. We are helped by him. And uh, in the messiness of, of seeking to love people who are messy themselves, our hope is in our savior. Amen. I mean, being refreshed with the reality of that truth is, I think, my practical step for today and every day. But do you have a next step in addition to that? Or maybe that's it for people who are listening who really want to put into practice what we talked about today in relation to loving their neighbors? Yeah, I would say, um, uh, and maybe we're all doing this, those who are listening, but let's pray for our hearts today, especially in this whole COVID-19 kind of season that really the whole world is experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pray. Let's pray for ourselves, for God to help us to remember the good Samaritan Jesus, to remember that ultimate good neighbor, to remember what he's done for us, to remember the fact that he is a high priest who welcomes our bold, confident prayers for grace and for help, that he is our security, that we can trust ourselves to him and that he would help us to show love that goes beyond the world's definition in these in these days and weeks and maybe even months ahead, uh, that we would really, First John 4, that talks about living through Christ and how we show love, that he would help us to demonstrate that in a way that is visible to our neighbors, in a way that is visible to our friends and families who perhaps are not in Christ, in, the, in a way that is encouraging to us who are in Christ as we love each other. So let's pray boldly. Let's go to the throne of our high priest and pray boldly and confidently for his help, for his grace in in this time of need. That's a resource that we have access to all the time by the grace of God. So I am so thankful for that admonition. I often neglect prayer. And I think there's no better investment that we could make. Thank you, Nana. It's just been so wonderful to chat with you about this. It's definitely one of my simple joys just to get to hear from you as you kind of expound upon the text and just unpack how that's working itself out in your life. So I really appreciate you doing that with us today. And, you know, it's been a long time since you've been on the show. So I'm curious to hear, uh, we asked this question just to get to know each guest a little bit better. What are three of your simple joys? I wonder if they might have changed since we last <laughs> chatted. I love to cook and I love to bake. Mm. And um, I know like we're talking about possible food shortage. So I just started baking my own bread and that's been Ooh. so fun. Yeah. So I had a, a sister, a friend who uh, helped to kind of coach me through that because my bread wasn't rising at first. But yeah, so being in the kitchen, cooking, baking, it's a joy for me. I feel like that's a really good thing to have, like a skill to have in your back pocket with a food yes. shortage. Like all you Absolutely. need is what? Flour, salt, maybe a little bit of yeast and water. Oil, <laughs> yeast, water. I've been thinking about that. Yeah. Nice. I'm like, okay, I can just bake some bread if it runs out. <laughs> so yeah. And then I love Sundays, just quiet days especially just sitting with my husband on the couch. That's a simple joy for me. I'm surprised that it's a quiet day for you guys with being on staff at a church. Is it like after everything's calmed down, like exactly. time hours type of thing? Yes. Yeah. So it's, so the morning, obviously I don't always see him. And then in the evening, sometimes we might have evening service as well, but in between 
So that in between after church, before evening service time. Yeah, so we'll just eat as a family and then the girls will have their own reading time somewhere else in the house and I'll just be next to my husband and that's a simple joy. Praise God. That's amazing. I love that you guys protect that time because I know yeah. for many families who are ministering to those of us who, you know, typically experience Sunday as a more restful time, that's a busy day. So it's cool to hear how you guys protect that time. Yeah, that's definitely a day I look forward to. And then the last one would be, you know, I was thinking about this and I was like, you know, I really do love women gathered and the Bible open and just studying God's word together. So I've had a chance to actually very soon, hopefully, you know, depending on how things go with COVID-19, we're hoping to have a systematic theology course for women. And we're just going to gather in my home with a group of ladies. And we're going to go through, it's one of the Charles Simeon Trust online courses. And we're just going to go through that. And I love that. Like that is my idea of a good time. No wonder we are kindred hearts. It would not be hard to love you as my neighbor. Oh, absolutely. I love you already. You're my neighbor. (laughs) That is so exciting. And I pray you will get to be together in body, not just in spirit. (laughs) Well, Nana, it's so evident that you have really a host of people who have invested in you just in the way that you share. And I know that's all God's grace and you would give him credit for that. But I would love just to hear who it is that has had Uh, an impact on your journey with Jesus. I know we talked last time, I think you said your husband last time, if I'm remembering Mm -hmm. right. That's Um, right. But you can talk about him again, or you can tell us about somebody else that has influenced uh, your walk with the Lord. Yeah. Well, my husband definitely is, I mean, I am, I feel like I, the Lord uses him as a means of grace, right? In my, in my sanctification, in my discipleship. And so all of, all of what I said last time is still so true of, of Eric. Uh, but there is someone else. So I listened to your last series on discipleship. Yes. Uh, yeah. uh, and you mentioned peer-to-peer discipleship. There is a sister that the Lord has given me as a gift. And she is so useful to me. So she's about my age. We have about children relatively the same, you know, the same age. And we have for the past, oh, I don't know. It's been like almost 11 years now, 10 or 11 years now. We so she actually lives in Philadelphia, so I I don't see her often, but we speak every week on the phone and we pray for each other every week. Uh, We have studied scripture together, even as we talk about drawing near to people. The Lord has helped me to be vulnerable with her, to confess sin, to be held accountable, to be prayed for, to be loved by her. And she is an excellent example for me, for someone who loves her neighbors well. So she loves the members of her church and is always striving to love them well. She is passionate to evangelize to her neighbors Mm. and to share Christ with them. Uh, She's always fighting to love her husband and her children well. And she is, uh, she's a gift to me. So I'll say her name. Her name is Andrea White. I just appreciate her and I thank God for her. Oh, bless the Lord. Well, I definitely feel that way about you. Even in the little blips that I've gotten to talk with you, you encourage me so much, my friend. Thank you so much for taking time to encourage all of us on the podcast today. Thank you, Hunter. Thank you. We pray this conversation with Nana is a help to you as you seek to love your neighbors in the same way that it was for us. If you found this episode helpful, we would love for you to leave a rating and review on iTunes like this one written by Mrs. Hodges. She said, This podcast has shown me how to live by the gospel and center my everyday life around God in a more practical and approachable way. I read my Bible more, I pray more, I love God fiercely, and I want to glorify him more in my life. 
We are rejoicing with you in the ways that God is using Journey Women to encourage you in your walk with him. And we would love for you to share what he's doing with others who are on the hunt for a podcast like Journey Women. We'd also love to connect with you throughout the week on socials over at Journey Women Podcast. And if you need them, you can find all the details from today's episode on our website at journeywomenpodcast.com. Today's episode was edited by Christine Brandt from christinebrandt.info. We are so grateful for her and for you. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. We can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.